If you have a Bible or a device, uh, we're going to be looking at two different places. First of all, 1 Samuel 8, and then a little bit later, we're going to look at John chapter 12 and verse 12. So when I was a kid, uh, many moons ago, we used to play a game at recess called King of the Hill. Anybody ever played that game? Yeah. So uh, one of us would stand on top of this tractor tire that was out on our playground at school, and all the rest of us would try to knock him off. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You played on tractor tires? (laughs) Just how old are you? (laughs) Um, Yeah, being a kid was different back then. Uh, We played on tractor tires, and we got rope burns from tetherball. And uh, we scalded ourselves going down metal slides. I kind of feel like grumpy old man on SNL right now. And we liked it. (laughs) Kids these days don't know how easy they got it. My point, my point is that everyone wanted to be king of the hill. The truth is, most of us just want to be king. Uh, like when I was a kid at eight or nine, <clears throat> my parents built out our garage and made a bedroom for me. And I felt very special, my own little kingdom, and I now demanded that my little brother seek permission before he entered my space. And speaking of space, do you ever feel like you're the king of your space? Like during worship, have you ever felt like someone was encroaching upon your space? There I am singing majesty, and my wife gets in my, pl- my way. I'm like, wait a minute, this is my space. Me, and I realize here I'm talking about him as king, and I got a problem with her hand in front of my face. So that may be a problem for me. Uh, I remember when I got my driver's license, it wasn't long before I felt like I was king of the road. And I was demanding that all minions driving around me seek permission before they switch lanes in front of me. I still do that. (laughs) And if they don't get it, boy, there are repercussions to pay. And I remember when Don and I bought our first house, uh, I finally felt like I was king of my own castle and all the surrounding lands, all one third of an acre of them. (laughs) And then I realized I shared those duties with my wife. So I wasn't quite king of the castle but I could be king of Christmas decorations in our neighborhood. And so I did all that I could to be the Clark Griswold of exterior illumination. (laughs) History seems to indicate that people like being their own king, their own boss, the one in charge. Don't tell me what to do. If I've said that once, I've said it a thousand times. Mostly to commercials on TV. Can't hear me, but I still say, don't tell me what to do. No one wants to be told what to do. We all like being our own king. But we not only want to be our own king, we also want a king. So that we can blame him or her when things don't go so well. Israel was like this. They longed for a king who would fight their battles and keep them safe and wield power and influence. The problem was, God was their king. But they didn't like that. They didn't like having to honor and follow him. 
And so they demanded that Samuel, who was a prophet of God that was serving as a judge of the Lord, they demanded Samuel give them a king like all the other nations. And it frustrated Samuel greatly because he knew they wanted the wrong kind of king and for all the wrong reasons. It says in 1 Samuel 8, verse 6, if you've got your Bibles, you can look with me. When the elders said that, Samuel was not pleased. What was the that? That we want a king. That's what they said. And he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to whatever the people say to you, and listen to this part. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being their king. Wow. Wow. What an indictment. They are doing, verse 8, as they have always done. When I took them out of Egypt, they left me and served other gods. They are doing the same to you. Now listen to the people, but warn them what the king who rules over them will do. You ever wanted something real bad, but lived to regret it? Uh, or insist on something and God let you have it, and then you wish he hadn't. Well, that's what happened here. They got what they asked for, but they lived to regret it. He gave them Saul as their king, their first king, and Saul was an impressive, handsome fellow. He stood head and shoulders above the rest, but he feared man more than he feared God, and he was paranoid, and he was self-absorbed, and he even sought demonic forces to guide him. He was a colossal failure as king of God's people. And so God graciously gave them David, who was a man after God's own heart. And even David, who was by far the best king that Israel ever had, even David had major lapses in judgment. And he committed sin that cost him dearly and cost others even more dearly. And after David was his son Solomon, and he started out really good. But as he continued, he grew, um, hmm, he grew romantic. He gathered some 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, I'm thinking if a man needs that many wives and 300 concubines on the side, he got some issues. Probably some issues with God being king. And what was really bad is that they were from foreign peoples and they led Solomon away. They led him into inviting idols into his house and into the nation to worship other gods. And this was forbidden by God. Solomon's divided heart led to a divided kingdom. And of those kings, 39 of them that led after Solomon, 19 in the northern Israel, uh, kingdom of Israel, and 20 in the southern kingdom of Judah, of the 39, only eight could be classified as doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Only eight of 39. Israel wanted a king like all the other nations. But what they got was a mess. They got a mixed bag where the kings that they got oftentimes did more harm than they did good. And it makes you stop and think. We should be careful what we wish for. We might just get it. 
It also proves that earthly kings and presidents and governments can't save and oftentimes harm us. Even in a democracy with checks and balances, most of what we see is flawed, self-serving, power-hungry, and tainted by corruption. What's the saying? Power often leads to corruption, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. Thank you. It was in my notes, but I took it out. So thank you, Marty. (laughs) And while we are definitely called to obey and, and to pray for those who are in authority over us, we cannot, as the church of Jesus Christ, deify political leaders or put our faith in them. There is only one who is worthy of our faith and our trust. And that is God and God alone. The government we live under rests on his shoulders. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Listen, the best news for people who need a king is that such a king has stepped into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the king you're looking for. He didn't stay seated. He got up and he came down. And his incarnation proves that he didn't forget our plight and he didn't ignore our suffering and he didn't pass by our brokenness. This king came to save. He came preaching the gospel of his kingdom, forgiving our sin, taking our shame, paying our debt, killing off death and robbing the grave. On all day, just very similar to today. Some 2,000 years ago, at the start of the week where Jesus would finish his work on the cross, he made this new king his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and it was quite a stir. Here's how John, in his gospel, described it in John 12 and verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. What a day. What a day to have been in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is swelling with pilgrims who are preparing for the Passover. Some say six or seven times its normal population all around the the feast of Passover. And they are all buzzing and excited with the prospect of Jesus coming to town and making things right. They're looking for a military answer to a political solution. What Jesus came offering was a spiritual answer to a heart's dilemma. But still they're looking because they've heard of this Jesus and how he heals people and how he confronts corrupt leaders and how he teaches with such wisdom and how he even raised a man named Lazarus 
and near ta- nearby in Bethany from the dead. They're pumped. And it's all a buzz. And they're clamoring to catch a glimpse of Jesus riding on a donkey's colt, just as Solomon had done centuries ago. But of course, Jesus would not be lured away by 700 wives and 300 concubines. Jesus stayed true and determined to do his father's will. And so the crowds of people are swarming and they're laying all sorts of jackets and clothes and cloaks in front of him as a pathway down the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem. And people are gathering palm branches where they can. A palm branch was very significant for the Jewish history. Palm branches were oftentimes on their coins and and printed on the walls of the temple. And when the Maccabees, just 150 to 180 years earlier, had, had pushed away the Syrians, they all waved palm branches for the victors who came into town. And so these thought, this is the king we've been looking for. And they gathered these palm branches and they began waving them in the air and and children and everyone dancing and pipes were, were being played and people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the new king of Israel. But on that very spectacular day, no one, including his own disciples, understood that Jesus had come to Jerusalem to die. They thought he would bring them back to political victory and make them great again and force the Romans out and establish on the throne of David a new messianic kingdom. Jesus came to die. And no one but Jesus knew that many of these who were shouting Hosanna would just days later be calling for his crucifixion. And still, none of that kept Jesus from going to town. None of it kept him from getting up on that donkey's colt, understanding fully what it meant. That it was the fulfillment of prophecy given by Zechariah. That it was also spoken by Jacob when he pronounced a blessing on Judah. That all of the indications that it would be a donkey's colt upon which the Messiah would ride into town. Jesus knew full well and got up on the donkey and he rode into town willing to die. He was focused on his father's will. And he focused on the father's message, proclaiming it until the very end. For his whole ministry right up to this moment had been a call for us, for everyone who would hear, to live under his kingdom rule. And it's the choice between his way that brings life and righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or our own way, which leads to instability and uncertainty and brokenness, and entrapment, and death. The question is, and has always been, do we want to be king? Are we ready to let him be king? 
here's what I think we do most of the time. We try to handle most things in our life as though we really are the king. We try to convince ourselves that, well, Jesus doesn't need to really be bothered with this. This is stuff I can manage. I can handle this. The little stuff, I got this. And after all, you know, he's probably busy. He's got other people to take care of. And so I'll manage this. And we never submit our lives in these normal, ordinary, regular things of life to the king. But then when really hard things come around, we're out there shouting, Hosanna, save us, save us. I wonder what it would look like for us to ask for his direction, not because we're panicking, but because we're submitted to him as king all the time, 24-7. Where we really mean it when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth and in my life, just as it is in heaven. What if we let him really be king over our lives, over our families, over our children, over our choices? What would your life really look like if you let him be king over your finances and over your career and over your calendar and schedule where you would view money as something he has given you? And you would view your future as something he has charge over. And where you would view your time as something that belongs to him. What if we let him be king over everything? Our marriages where we honored and loved our spouse the way that he's called us to. Believing that our marriage is a reflection on the very message of God's kingdom. That Jesus is the bridegroom. And his church is the bride. And what if you're single? What would it look like for you to let him be king over every aspect of your life? Where you decide to serve him with abandon like Paul challenged single people to do. And where you submitted to him in your dating life. And where you trust him and his sovereign plan for your future. And what would it look like if we let Jesus be king who was sent to heal us and bind up our wounds and restore us from our life-shattering brokenness. What would that look like if we really let him be king? The king who sends us out to love our neighbors, to incarnate his life, to demonstrate his love, and to proclaim his gospel truth. What would it look like? It feels like there's a theme this morning at church. It feels like that every aspect of what we've been doing as we've worshiped the Lord, as we've gathered, as we've prayed for those going out, as we're here in the word right now, that he is the king and we are not. He's the one who gets to be in charge and we're the ones who follow. And in that place, there is abundance and protection in life. Yes, we will face opposition, but when we let him be king, then we will overcome by his power. In fact, the Bible says we are even more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. What would it look like for a group of people to really see him as king and to really live like it? 
We all have the chance to receive this coming king, not just the day that we receive him as savior, but every day thereafter. Behold, your king has come to reign on the throne of your heart, to rule and reign in his church, and to rule and reign over the whole of creation, which he is making new, bringing every enemy of the throne of God under his feet. And one day very soon, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus has been here this morning the whole time. He's ridden into our place, maybe in unassuming ways like riding on a donkey. The question for us is do we see him as our king? He's ready to ride into your life, into your routine, into your brokenness, into your mess, and establish his kingdom. And not just on the day that you accept him, but every day you live for him. Behold, behold, your king has come. Let us declare those with those on that day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. But Donna is going to come and we are going to gather this morning at the Lord's table. It seems very appropriate on the day that he entered into Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover that we would gather here at the table today the cup of his new covenant and the bread, which is his body, given for us. And we're going to extend our communion teams. We've been so many people here lately that we're going to put a fifth team out here. So it's going to help us maybe. And so what we're going to ask you to do is in a few moments after we've prayed for the, the bread and the cup and prayed for our community, is we're going to ask you to come in just groups of about eight. All right. I think last month we had a group of about 18 or 20 or 40. I don't remember. It was big. So we like community, but probably eight to 10 would be our, you know, we're shooting for that today. We've added a station, so hopefully that'll help. But you'll come, and if you're alone, if you're new here, someone will probably try to grab you and have you come with them. Let me just say that, this about that. If you're in Christ Jesus, this table is for you. This is not our church's table. This is the Lord's table, and he has made a way for you to be here. So if you are in Christ Jesus, a follower of Jesus, then this table, there's an invitation for you to come. You want to share, and then we'll pray. Okay, let's do that. When Chris was asking all those questions, what would it be like if God was king of this part or this part of your life? And our lives would look different. But I think the part that really struck me um, made me think of Isaiah 32 when it says, when the king reigns in righteousness, when he is king in your life, then princes rule in justice, and each one who lets God be king, they will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, wow. streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. And when that happens, when we are able to be comfort, when we are able to bring sight to someone who's living in darkness because God is king, 
Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention, and they will know. You guys know I have people in my life and on my heart who don't yet know God as King, Jesus as Lord. And I'm sure that if you've been with the Lord for more than a minute, you have somebody on your list too. What if the greatest way for them to receive the good things of God is for you to let God be king in some area in your life that he has poked today? He's pricked our conscience. We had a very powerful word this morning from Roger about the fact that it's time. Mm -hmm. So when I pray for us today, I'm praying not just for each of us to say yes to God, but I'm praying for what he will be able to do with us when we do that for all those people who are currently sitting in darkness, sitting in prison without hope in this world. Absolutely. It's a good prayer. I'd like to ask those that are going to be helping us with communion this morning to go ahead and come and get into their place. And uh, while they're getting positioned, I'd like for you to join with us and let's pray. Father, we are both grateful and um, a little bit scared of how strongly you are leaning towards us and calling us up. It's comforting because you haven't left us to ourselves. And it's scary because it seems so big Hmm. to really give you our whole lives. The parts we know, the parts we don't, what today is going to look like, what tomorrow is going to hold, all of our relationships, our offenses, our preferences, even our successes, Lord. You're asking for every single thing to be on the table today. Yes. When we take communion... Before we receive you, we are laying down us. So I pray that as we come to your table today, that each person will allow you to examine their heart. Yes, Lord. That you would have your way there. Yes. That you would make our hearts whole before you. Yes, Jesus. And that when we take communion, we are agreeing that you are indeed king and we're asking you to rule in our lives in our thoughts in our hearts in what we what we put our affections on what we consider to be our treasures in all of our relationships lord yes lord and when we take communion we're saying yes to you and we're doing it in faith that you will make it real in us We come to your table today, Lord, because you came to us. You didn't stay seated. You got up and you came down. And you saw us in our brokenness and in our need and in our suffering and in our plight. And you did not pass us by. 
you rode right into our life. And you brought forgiveness of sin and you paid the penalty of our trespasses. And you brought healing to our bodies and you brought purpose to our lives and you brought forever kind of life. A love that never fails and life that is abundant and eternal. And so Lord, today we come and remember the sacrifice you made that we could be here today in this place. Servants of the Most High God. I pray, Lord, for anyone that is here today that is struggling. Maybe they're in that category Donna talked about earlier, where they've been hesitant or not sure, but not following the King, not really willing to give Him the reins and control of their life. I pray that your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, would bring the power of God to bear in their hearts and in their minds, and that the enemy would not have opportunity to distract or disturb them, but the clear message of God's love and gospel would ring true in their heart in Jesus' name. And I pray for all of us, Lord, as we remember, as we re-enlist in the body of Christ, as we re-member ourselves, that as we receive the bread, the body of the Lord Jesus, we would receive your life. And as we drink the cup of your new covenant, the blood of Jesus would cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We commit this to you now and come and receive. Give to us, we ask, O King. Give to us, Lord, from above all that we need pertaining to life and to following you in godliness. In Jesus' name we pray. 